morning. Happy Sabbath. Let's uh, begin class with a word of prayer. Praise His Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to come and study. We ask that your Holy Spirit be here and guide our study, um, not only today, but in weeks ahead. Uh, we ask for individual and corporate blessings on our ministry. We ask that you grow it and use us as your instrument to hasten Christ's coming. Uh, we ask that you be with those of our members who are not with us today and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, my name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Dr. Tim Jennings today. He has been sleeping on a virgin island for the last week. He and Christy are celebrating their 20th anniversary down in the Caribbean, so we want to offer them our congratulations and best wishes for another 20, at least. Uh, we're studying Lesson 7 in the quarterly. is entitled, When Conflicts Arise. It should give us something to look forward to uh, in heaven when there won't be any conflict. Or, if there is, it will be dealt with in a Christian manner. The memory text for Sabbath lesson is taken from Galatians 3, verses 27-28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. What does this text mean? When we get to heaven, are our ethnic differences, our genetic differences, or our sex differences going to disappear? Will we not recognize each other as men or women, or conservative or liberal, or black or white, or... It's not what it means. It means that whether in heaven or earth, we're all the same to God. Whether you are black or white or yellow or male or female or whatever, we're all equal in God's sight. Okay, that's a fair point. Um, any other thoughts or nuances uh, to this text? As humans, we see we tend to develop hierarchies, whether right or, right or wrong, we tend to develop them. Uh, and, and many... I think mistakenly think that there's no there's no sort of hierarchy in heaven. I, I respectfully disagree. I think there is a hierarchy in heaven. I think it's there by design. Yes, Wendell. I think the last part of that text is the is the important part, and that we we are all one. There's a unity. Okay, one one. Re- regardless, re- you know, if you look at the animal kingdom, all the animals aren't alike. You know, and you know. We are all one. We're unified in God's creation. We were designed to be all together as a unity, you know, regardless of our differences. Not because of our differences, but our differences are part of that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think our differences are purposeful. Right. How, many different, uh, how many different types of angels can you name? I can think of three. Different types. I'm not talking job specific. I'm talking different types of angels. What are they? Cherub, seraph, and there's one other named in the in scripture. Archangel. Okay. So that's three different categories of angels. They have different jobs. They have different uh, skill sets. They have different abilities and capabilities. If we think that every snowflake is different. Why wouldn't he create all of these differences and value them and love them? Oh, I, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that's well said. Um, 
Yeah, but each snowflake is still snow. The verse specifically talks about those who are baptized in Christ and have put on Christ. Yeah. Correct. I think it's also pointing to the reality that we all become like Christ in character. We're all one in, in that. We may be all in different stages of growth in that, but we've all taken on that character. Hopefully, yes. And, and again, back to Wendell's comment, the, last, the very last phrase of the text, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, but doesn't necessarily mean one human. It means one of mission, one of purpose, and, and hopefully one of character. From the lesson, one of the most difficult tasks of any Christian community is to maintain unity when differences of opinion arise on matters pertaining to the identity and mission of the church. These differences can lead to devastating consequences. Well, I think that's well said. And guess what? We're, we're at a point in our church history where we're going to be able to watch this in real time. I've included some links in the notes uh, detailing some of the things uh, that are being um, promoted and a direct direction our church is choosing to go that in my, that in my opinion is just going to be destructive. But... Well, one one person is quoted as saying, "Well, even if this costs us two million members, we're going to go. We're going to do it anyway." Let that breathe a little bit. Anyway, there's three three links in the um, in the notes. I'm not going to go into detail as to what the direction is and what the problems uh, are, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a it's a significant difference of opinion. It's a difference of direction. It's a it's, it's an issue involving uh, design, a contra, uh, contradiction of design law, laws of liberty, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How are we, how are we as, as humans, and, and specifically as Christian humans, supposed to respond to differences of opinion? How are we to respond to differences of direction, differences of mission? Does, does the Holy Spirit, will the Holy Spirit speak to each and every Christian? Yes. Will he speak the same to each and every Christian? No. Okay. You had a question or a comment? Well, no. We have to have a willingness to listen to every opinion. Okay. Good. At the same time, we, I think that we have to make a stand for what God has shown us. Not, I don't think that it has to be a loud stand. I think that it has to be an active stand. Something that you do in your daily life. Your actions. Because we can't change people's opinion by young are arguing. Mm-hmm. Okay, you said we have to val- we have to listen to each way everyone's uh, opinion. Uh, I think that's right. But are, are all opinions equally valuable? No. Uh, yeah. What? Yes. How are they equally valuable? Because they're our opinion, and we all think that our opinion is the most valuable. Yeah, that's what Twitter is based on. It is based on the idea that uh, that your opinion is the most important one on the planet. And it's, it's, in my opinion, it's a lie. And we have to take the consequences of our decisions, so we have to let people have their opinion. God oh, that's, teaching absolutely. teaching that right now. He's teaching you that right now. But, okay, is, is a five-year-old's opinion on toothbrushing as valuable as the parent's opinion, who happens to be a dentist? <laughs> to them. Okay. I'm going to submit that not all opinions are equally valuable. That doesn't mean they need to be uh, rejected in a mean-spirited manner. Agreed. Like, like Eve said, each of us are on a different pathway 
along our Christian experience and and in in the case I presented a different pathway along our adult experience uh, the five years of five year old's opinion on eating the broccoli on his plate or brushing her teeth is not as valuable as the parents Wendell you know I have to identify with uh, someone um, in one of Christ's last uh, meetings with the disciples, you know, they, they went to fishing and he came and, and he had a, a fire and whatnot. And he met with the disciples and whatnot. And this is after his resurrection, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, then he told, you know, he told one of the disciples what was going to happen in the future regarding him. And the other guy says, you know, well, what about him? And he was more interested in what was going to happen to someone else than it was, you know, it, it was none of his business. Right. You know, and Christ said, hey, it's none of your business. And so much of, of my angst is over, well, wait a minute, what about him? Right. You know, and I think the spirit has to come back to me and say, listen, Wendell, that's about, that's between you and, you know. It's, it's, <clears throat> yeah, it's the... Uh, it's, it's sadly the human nature of wanting to control outcomes, not only for yourself, but for others as well. Yeah, and, and from that example, there arose a rumor that one apostle was going to live you know, forever until Christ came again. But that's not what was said. Um, back to how we treat differences of opinion and direction and mission. And mission. Do our tactics matter? And, and confronting differences of opinion, or it's just the it's just the end point, just this the goal. Is that the only thing that matters? Respect. Okay. Treat people with respect. Um, again, respecting the person doesn't mean respecting their opinion. Okay. Back to the five-year-old example. Um, do tactics matter even if we are presenting truth, or perhaps especially if we're presenting truth? How many of you have the truth with a capital T? <laughs> Absolute truth. Part of it. Okay. I like that. Yeah, I don't think any of us has the complete absolute truth with a capital T, meaning truth that has been true in eternity past and eternity future. That's God's domain. He has seen fit to reveal to us enough of that truth to sway our opinion, to combat our fallen human nature, but we can't conceive of infinite truth. Even even in our glorified, restored state, we'll still be working on it for all eternity, and we'll we'll still never get there. Yes, sir? I agree wholeheartedly with that. My question to everybody here would be, then why oftentimes do we come across as being so dogmatic about particular issues if we can readily admit that we don't have all of the truth? Excellent question. Excellent rhetorical question. Yeah. Or maybe not rhetorical. I mean, how can we do that? How can we, how can we improve at that? Not only on a personal level, but in, a, in, our, in our class as well. And taking our truth... Uh, out to the masses and, and, and attempting to hasten uh, the, the coming of Christ. From the teacher's quarterly, it, um, it presents some six suggestions on 
uh, dealing with conflict, and I think these are pretty good, so I'm just going to go ahead and go down the list. Uh, number one, problems need to be acknowledged openly, not in secret. Too often conflicts are ignored in the hopes that by doing so they will disappear on their own. They need to be acknowledged and dealt with promptly. And I think that's uh, I think it's well said. I think that works on an individual uh, basis, whether you're dealing with a a um, a loved one or a spouse or a, a coworker or whatever it is, and I think it, I think it applies on a corporate level as well. Yes, sir. There's a difference though between dealing with conflicts and dealing with differences. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, if the difference is causing a conflict, then maybe it needs to be dealt with. But sometimes it's better to leave dogs lie. You know, that if if there's a difference between you and me or whatever. And it's it's not causing a conflict, then. Oh sure, yeah. sure, absolutely. Stirring the pot does not help. Uh, well said. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, second suggestion: one or more people need to be appointed to seek a solution for the problem. The individuals chosen should be well known and trusted by the congregation. And the lesson is specifically referring to the conflict that occurred. Uh, in Acts, which we're going to get to here shortly, uh, referencing the Jerusalem Council. So they sought people who were noteworthy of character, who uh, were noteworthy, they were leaders, they were knowledgeable, both sides of 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 the difference of opinion, and they chose them to address it and render a decision. Third, the stories and opinions of those involved on both sides of the conflict need to be heard. Okay, if you only give if you only give voice and credence to one side of the argument, then obviously the other side is going to feel slighted. Scripture was considered. For for instance, at the Jerusalem Council, the leaders considered both the law of Moses, which talked about circumcision, and the prophets who predicted there would be Gentile believers. We're going to unpack that a little more uh, later. Evidence of the leading of God was both presented and sought after. So both sides of the disagreement sought the opinion, <laughs> sought the opinion and counsel of God, uh, and it was presented. And finally, the decision was communicated along with reasons for the decision. And when this could not be done by directly by the leaders who had made the decision, a message was sent uh, by, by a trusted individual, uh, excuse me, a sent with an individual trusted by the church. Uh, any thoughts on these principles? Sound reasonable? Thought so. Uh, Sunday's lesson, ethnic differences. Uh, this is referencing... In Acts 6, uh, I believe. Um, in the church's empathy, some, some complained that the Jews of Greek heritage uh, were allegedly being discriminated against vis-a-vis food distribution. I say allegedly, and actually the lesson emphasizes uh, this perceived favoritism. Uh, I say that because the scripture is silent on whether or not there was actual inequity in food distribution. It could have been a perceived inequity causing complaint. How many of you have encountered 
perceived issues that weren't there, which caused problem. They're everywhere. And this problem caused a distraction for the apostles. And they were called upon to address petty disagreements as if carrying the gospel forward. Is this ringing any bells? Can anyone think of another time in, in the history of Israel when this happened? With Moses. Thank you. Moses was being called on to uh, address petty disagreements that uh, arose within the children of Israel that had just been led out of Egypt by the pillar of cloud. And his father-in-law said, what are, you, what are you doing? I'm referencing Numbers 11, 16 through 30. You need to appoint some people of honest character, upstanding uh, judges, to address this stuff so you can, you can concentrate on the bigger picture. This is, what the, this is what the apostles had to do. Back to the alleged inequality. My personal doubt is that there were, I don't think there were any food shortages, food distribution issues. And that's a personal opinion. I'll make that clear. I have no insight from the Holy Spirit and no magic scripture to defend that. It's personal opinion. Um, I think one of Satan's most effective traps is to tempt an individual or a group of individuals to perceive some equality. And it doesn't matter which side of the inequality you're on. You can think you're in the majority of a perceived inequality. And you can look down on those who are complaining otherwise. It doesn't matter. The temptation for discontent is a strong one. And where did it originate? It originated in heaven. Remember, the inequality, the inequity argument originated in the presence of God himself, where Lucifer alleged equality with one of the Godhead. And this issue continues here unabated on earth. From the bottom section of Sunday's lesson, it asks, What significance do you see in the fact that the leaders called so many believers together in order to try to work out a solution? Communication is everything. Participation is everything. Okay. So uh, it, they wanted they wanted communication. They wanted to involve the the um, the rank and file, as it were, and not just render a top down decision. Any any parallels for twenty first century? <laughs> would, would, would it be accurate to to view this or their solution of getting getting the getting the membership involved in the decision-making, would it be accurate to view it as a grassroots, a bottom-up decision-making? I think so. As opposed to a top-down imperial edict, um, this, is, this is what's going to happen from on high. That it, works if you listen to the group. If you get together the group just to de- declare something, it works if yeah. It works if you listen to the group. It works if the group is is open to the to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It can turn into a mob. It, it can turn into anarchy, otherwise known as democracy. How many of you know that democracy is actually anarchy? Our, our nation was never intended to be a democracy. It was intended to be a representative republic. How many of you know the difference? Yep. Democracy 
is eventual anarchy. Let that breathe a little bit. So what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of a, uh, a bottom-up solution? Thoughts? What do you mean by bottom-up? By a grassroots-type movement where you have a big collection of people, they pool their ideas, they, they're open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, truth is unveiled uh, over time to the members, and it filters up to the leadership. When you're describing as an ideal situation, yes. everyone's listening to the Spirit. Yes, you know, and that rarely happens. That's the way our church was designed. With the central hierarchy, the uh, general conference was not supposed to have any influence over the direction of the doctrine. It was supposed to, the, the unfolding truth was supposed to be done in the membership. It was to filter up to the pastors, up to the conferences, up to the unions, up to the divisions, up to the general conference. And this was, occur- this was designed to occur over years, decades even. And then the general conference was to adopt the unfolding truth and implement it and put it in place and say, okay, this is what our stand on this issue is. And it was supposed to be an ongoing process where truth would always be unfolding. It was not to be a monarchical, top-down, central governing monarch say, okay, this is what I think truth is. We're going to impose it on the membership and develop compliance committees and oversight, and if you're not in line, we're going to censure you or dock your pay or remove you from your office or remove you from membership. It's not how it wasn't designed to work. There's a hand. Yes. Isn't that what all of these marches are? You know, it's a grassroots thing, you know, where people, a group of people feel like they have something that's of worth. Okay, that they're trying to get the attention of the leadership. Okay. Sure. That's what all these marches are. But, um... I mean, they're not all conducted well, okay, and they may have bad name. But, but that's their intent. Maybe we can get their attention to listen to what we're trying to say. Is that not the intent? The, I think the, intention is, the intent is attention-seeking, Absolutely. Sometimes that's manipulated though by thought leaders who. That's right. Who pay for the who pay for the uh, individuals to march? It's always somebody that's guiding them to. Hey, let's get together. Let's. I mean, it's always led by somebody. Generally, yes. Right. But in the church, the example you're thinking of. What if the decision was started with the gra- grassroots? and went up, and it was still not accepted by some. So y- your question is, what if, what if truth came to the, came to the individuals, the, the, the membership, and they presented that truth, and somewhere along the, somewhere along the corporate hierarchy, it was rejected? The, the corporate hierarchy said, okay, we take your stance, and most of you are, um, think this is how it's supposed to be. But then there are some who still don't accept it. So how do you judge that situation? You mean of the hierarchy or of the people? Of the people. You leave them free to let everyone be convinced in their own mind. 
But I mean, we're condemning the hierarchy. I'm not. Okay, good. <laughs> She's at peace. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not condemning the hierarchy. I don't necessarily agree with the, the direction they're going, but I'm not condemning them. <laughs> I just disagree with them. Do you still follow them if you don't agree with them? No, I won't. And that's going to always cause a division. I don't think it ever be unity. All right, mea culpa. I, I have no idea where my uh, membership, my church membership is. I couldn't tell you. Should be in heaven. Should but, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's because I'm of that opinion. It's, in, it's insignificant to me where my church membership is. Okay. And if I, if I got a letter from the general conference saying you've been removed from membership. So what? Well, what a shame. <laughs> <laughs> What's for dinner? I don't care. <laughs> I agree. So, yes, our membership should be in heaven. We should be citizens of heaven. And the, the bigger problem for me is not the direction that our, our church is going. The bigger problem for me is the direction our nation is going. I agree. Okay. And I have, it's produced a lot of, a lot of dissonance for me over the last, decade or more um and i've had i've had deep deep talks with tim and christy about this and he said you know what it's and it's bothered him too both of them he said i have had to take a step back and realize that my citizenship is not in the seventh day Adventist church it's not a, a, a citizen of tennessee it's not a citizen even of the united states or north america or the war earth, for that matter. My citizenship should be in heaven. And we need to conduct ourselves that way. And I think that's wise counsel. It's not the easiest counsel for me to follow, because I've been, I've been proud to be an American. I've been proud to be raised in the South. And I'm, I'm, having, to, I'm having to unlearn some of that. Yes. Can't we still be a proud American... You know, we have truth, but we leave everybody else free. Well, I would hope so. I mean, can we not still be a citizen of heaven and a citizen here? If we allow that freedom of others. Yes. When we say, you got to be like me, well, is when we have our problems. Currently, yes, we can do that. If, if our understanding of prophetic scripture, though, is accurate then the United States is going to be fundamental in ushering in the our clasping hands with the coercive power of the the beast. Two beasts are going to join forces, and the U.S. is going to lead the way in attempting to destroy the, the members of the church. So uh, we're going to have to sever that citizenship eventually. If we live long enough, Monday's lesson, the conversion of the Gentiles. Uh, this lesson is based on uh, Peter's vision in Acts 10, uh, where the he's in vision at the tanner's house, and the sheet is lowered down, and there's a variety of clean and unclean animals coming down the sheet, and the Lord tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter... Immediately said, whoa, whoa, a timeout. 
I, I, I can't eat anything unclean. Uh, the lesson notes that, quote, he had never partaken of unclean or defiled foods as the law required. Which law required that? Human law. Say again? It's human law, but... Well, it was Levitical law. It came It came from God himself, but... Well, ceremonial. It was ceremonial law. Was it a manifestation of a different law? Right, yes. Was it a facet of a different law? Which law? Design. Health. Design law, specifically the laws of health. It's easy to forget this, and I often forget it myself. The original diet required nothing to be killed. Not only the diet in Eden, but the original diet for the Israelites. God gave them manna. It came from heaven. In fact, manna was the Jewish term for bread of heaven. They, 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 he did not intend them to eat meat. He did not intend for anything to die in order to satisfy their diet. You guys want to watch a, a, a creepy documentary on food, go see What the Health. It's the name of the movie, What the Health. Um, some of you have seen it, but it touches, uh, and there's another one done by the same guy called Cowspiracy. Uh, it talks about the environmental impact of meat for food. Staggering amounts of water and resources are used to get one one cow available to feed a human. And the 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 idea that uh, well we need to get protein in our diet because that's why we have to eat meat. Where do you think the cow gets its protein? <laughs> cow gets its protein from grass. Anyway, that, that's an aside, but God didn't intend for the Israelites to eat meat. Why? Because he didn't design them that He didn't design humans that way. Yes, it, ultimately, the, the laws of health impact the laws of worship. They impact the brain function. So the... The law, as the law required, was uh, it was the laws of health. That was the law that required they not eat meat. And if and for those who insisted on eating meat, God said, "All right, <laughs> here your quail, go nuts." And they did. They would gorge themselves, and many many of them had quail, you know, packed in their sinuses, and they died. They ate so much they gorged themselves. Um, he said, "All right, if you're going to eat meat, here's the safest way to do it." These are clean, these are unclean, this is the way you prepare it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Obviously, the vision was an object lesson for Peter and, and the infant church and had nothing whatsoever to do with diet. It did. Uh, so, Pete, after three, time, three times of this, Peter finally got it and said, hmm, I must be talking about the Gentile believers. Did he, and he went back and they, they talked amongst themselves and formed the council, etc. Did he actually learn the lesson, though? Eventually. At, at first. To begin with, yeah, but I don't think he, I don't think he integrated it into his fiber of his being. Someone, someone look up Galatians uh, 2, 11 through 14. Many of the beliefs that I've held have been hard for me to ooze out of. Sure. You know, oh, absolutely. Our brains are running on the same little circles. 
and it's hard to jump out of the track. Well, it's taken me more than a decade to to conceptualize the the difference between imposed law and design law. Hmm. And there, and yeah, ooze out of is a great way of phrasing it because it's a slow process. It's like motor oil in the winter; it just oozes. Someone, Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Anybody? Shout it out. Eve? When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Okay, so Peter still had some learning to do about how to deal with the Gentile believers. He still had some ethnic prejudices. He still had some some issues, uh, some... Still has some splinters in his eye or planks in his eye. Maybe his issue was learning how to deal with the Jews. That's that's another good point. Maybe his issue. She said maybe his issue was learning to how to deal with the Jews, and the text says because he was afraid of the Jews. Mm -hmm. Fear of other people's opinion generally doesn't lead you down the correct track. Amen. We've talked about Acts ten and in verse seventeen. It says while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, it wasn't instantly clear to him what was happening only by trottling off to the, the town with the, the visitors and he gets there and says, oh by the way ta-da so he was slowly being drawn into the truth right yeah, yeah I, I think that's right and I think I misspoke so appreciate you uh, clarifying that yeah it wasn't instantly three times repeated as, oh I get it God Gentiles good okay no that's right. He, he he was led to to the to to meet with the people that had, were knocking on the door downstairs. It, it was a stepwise progression because here they had Gentiles, a, a soldier, and then two other Gentiles, and he invited them into a Jewish home. Mm -hmm. That would never have happened. That was the first step, right? You know, and then when they went with them to the neighboring town, and um, then went into their home. Yeah, and ate with them. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing was a progression of how to get used to something that you've been told has been wrong all your life. Right. And then go back to the apostles and say, hey, guess what happened to me? Yeah. But back to Eve's point, the fear of uh, public opinion or fear of the opinion of others. Um, fear of pressure. Right. The, the the fear of fear pressure is it's something that none of us is immune to and it can be a it can be a um, the opinion of others can be both a blessing and a curse however when you when you decide to let the opinion of others be your only guide in decision making I think it ends up inevitably ends up being destructive do we have any similar prejudices in our church today? Yes. 
I heard one heartfelt yes, and I heard a sarcastic no. <laughs> Pretty sure it was sarcastic. <laughs> um, how should these be dealt with? Let sleeping dogs lie sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that, that was um, Dr. Moses's, uh solution is sometimes let sleeping dogs lie i agree i have three dogs and sometimes it's best to let them sleep <laughs> you wake them up and uh, it becomes it becomes difficult tuesday's lesson the spirit is leading so the early church had to rely on personal testimony per and corroboration by witness testimony they did not have they did not have the tools that we have. They didn't have photographic video evidence. They didn't have internet testimony in addition to personal testimony and witness corroboration. How did they recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit? And how are we to do that? These are practical questions. The manifestation in the early church with the flames of fire and the other things, mm -hmm. we don't currently have. Yeah, visions of, of sheets with animals coming down and, and voices and, and things like that. That's right. And the, how the Holy Spirit descended on the early church when they were, you know, at Pentecost. Yeah. And then again in Cornelius' home. Yeah. Is much different than what we currently have. Right. Uh, let me tell you something. If each of you started speaking a different language, I would be creeped out and I'd be out of here. <laughs> it would disturb me. Right or wrong. Or if I started speaking a different language, that would, that would creep me out too. <laughs> Are we in any better, given, given the, the tools that we have for, for sharing opinion, for sharing message, um, are we in any better or worse position to know if or when or how the Holy Spirit is communicating with us? Being not accepting Sometimes you can hear the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit telling you the truth, but you're so hard headed or stubborn, you're going to do what you want to do anyway. Okay, well, I, I think that's a problem that has existed since the church was formed. The, the church has always had people who were stubborn or wanted to go their own way. Uh, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. The church has always had people that it had an incorrect vision of the mission and, and the purpose of the church. And right up until today, in fact, Friday's lesson gives a, a great a great quote from Ellen White uh, about the ultimate decision of the Jerusalem Council and people opposing it. Uh, I'll read that later. So my question is, are we in a better position or not? Are we in a worse position than the early church was to, to recognize the 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 voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I think where we are currently, we're in a in a much worse position. Um, okay. In in part because our church in its in its when it was formed was made up of people who studied um, a lot. This was what they did, and if you were to pull any congregation, you would probably find that there are 
way fewer now who are actually studying for themselves. That means that if you're not studying for yourself, if you're not immersing yourself in the word, learning about the character of God, when he speaks to you, you may not recognize him. Um, I think that's well said, and I mostly agree. I, I think I think you're on point that uh, most peop- many people don't delve in and, and investigate and think for themselves. They allow themselves to be led either by a parent or a pastor, loved one, spouse, whatever. They 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 don't delve in and make make the gospel their own. I value the um, description of the churches in Revelation 3 and 2 and 3 and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I understand that correctly, um, I'm part of the Laodicean church, which is poor, blind, and miserable. But we think we're right. wealthy and have vision and completely happy. Our insight is poor yeah. because we don't realize we are poor, blind, and miserable. And in that regard, I think she's right. Um, we are at a lesser place than where they were. Even though we have so much more to look back on and to use as our guide, our, you know, this class, Come and Reason, implies that we are using something. Yes. You know, Absolutely. And that's not always true. And Tim routinely stands up here and says that he's not here to teach, tell you what to think, and I'm not either. I don't want anyone to leave here and say, well, Russell said that. <laughs> Unless you're disagreeing with me, in that case, go nuts. But <laughs> I, don't allow me to lead you. Are we truly worse off, or is it just that we're not willing? I don't think that we're worse off. Like you said, we have so many ways what? to let the Holy Spirit use us, work through us, and everything. I just think it's our willingness, isn't it? Uh, I think it's part a part of it. I think that um, we've had we've had two millennia of pagan influences into our God construct that we've had to, well, I've had to unlearn. I've had to unlearn a pagan God construct. Okay. I, and that was twice the son of hell. Cause I, I not only had to undo my previous learning, then I had to actually learn. Well, I don't think so. I, I think that they, the disciples, saw Christ on earth. And while they didn't adequately comprehend his mission, I don't know that they had uh, a, a pagan God construct that they had to unlearn. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, yeah. they did. But I don't know the disciples and then those that made up the early church. Yeah, you, you, It's a fair point. The, the, I'm not saying the, fair, the, the, the early church was completely devoid of anyone with a false god construct. I kind of feel like I was a Pharisee for a while. That's what I, I guess that's the point I'm looking through. I believed one thing, and then I actually my eyes are opening to the love of God. So to me, it's kind of like the same thing, isn't it? I don't think we know of the mission. Uh, you know, I, the thought that keeps going through my mind is... Uh, sorry, what mission of what? Yes, that's the question. What is the mission? I don't think we know what the mission is, but I keep thinking of a squadron of men in the military. They have a mission. They're together as a unit. They love each other to the death. Yeah, they would 
know what the mission is and they want to come through it alive, but they're willing to die for each other. And I guess what I'm saying is we're playing at church and at, you know, the Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. We have enough knowledge to be cohesive. And the Sabbath school lesson has been talking about unity. Where's the lack of unity? Because we don't have a mission. I mean, if we had a rummage sale, we'd know what the mission was. We'd gather all the stuff, set up the tables, boom, and count the money at the end. <clears throat> and so, I'm not frustrated. I'm sharing... You're <laughs> 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 so frustrated. You're doing a good job fooling me. <laughs> Slow me down, Lord. Slow me down. <laughs> but I came here ten years ago, and listen to Tim. Sit back there. Welcome back. Thank you. And I've been watching for about the last three years, so I know all of your faces. I don't know your name, but I don't feel like I'm not at home. And, and I wasn't impressed at all. I mean, it was a class, and we did it, and we left. And three years ago, and my son-in-law has been trying to tell me for years, it's the character of God that's been misrepresented. You're looking through the wrong lens. And Tim drove it home for me. And ever since, I've been on fire. I can't sit still, and we made it, I mean, we're on our way to Florida, we made it, we left at 6.30, 7 o'clock this morning from someplace, I don't even know where, <laughs> to get here, and we almost got here on time. I'm going to submit that our mission is hastening the return of Christ, okay, and that's... That can be pretty big and vague. It is big, it is vague. The mission is displaying God's character. For what purpose? Let people know how God is. They've changed their lives. What purpose is that's how we were designed? Good. Yes, that's why humanity was designed. Right. Is to be like God. He made us in His image. But it was done to reveal to the unfallen universe a part of His government that had been misrepresented, a part of His character that had been misrepresented in heaven. The end result is Jesus will come. Okay, that's the, the byproduct. Okay, but we've got to work on the product so that he can come. And that's what he's talking Amen. about. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you for I mean, if we that. just say, oh, I'm, you know, we're all getting ready. We're all, we have been for 200 years trying to get ready for Jesus to come. Okay, but what do we have to do? What do we have to, you know, so that he can come? Scripture tells us that we have the power to hasten his coming. Obviously, he's waiting on something to occur in humanity that has not yet occurred so he can return. It is occurring. It is occurring. It's occurring, but we can, we can, make, it, we can make it faster. I mean, is, is there anyone who doesn't want it to occur faster? Fifteen years ago, I didn't want it to occur faster because I knew I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wanted him to delay as long as possible. I think the good news is, is more than anything else that God is not the kind of person that Satan has made him out to be. And, and being able to clearly articulate and represent that, uh, I think that is, is our mission more than anything else. It needs to be, at least. Okay. And what's the best way to articulate that? Is have the courage to spread the word. Stop being timid. Stop being in the background. In my opinion, the best way to do it is to reveal to others 
what that's done in your life because that, that's a unique voice. It's your unique voice. It's your unique experience that no one else, there, there can be parallels and similarities, but no one, no one has that voice. No one has that insight. No one has that input as to reveal what Christ has done to change your life. We need to move on. Do they want what we have? Yeah, good question. If if we make if we make it desirable, and that was that was original intent for the children of Israel. They were they were to be healthy and happy and uh, secure and et cetera, et cetera. The, the surrounding nations were to look in and say, "Wow, our gods of wood and stone can't do that." That we want to be like them. We want to join them. They're not going to see who we are until we go to them. I go to a Baptist church on Sunday to teach Sunday school class. Mm -hmm. But I'm not teaching their doctrine. I'm teaching the whole picture here that we've been learning for for years, if you will. Good. And, And men's group and prayer groups and other Bible studies. I mean, there's plenty of them out there, and you'll find that these Christians are real, and they're all in which should be our mantra. I heard a story once from a pastor. He said, you know, in my youth, I had a problem with gambling. Poker was my game. He says, but there's something that happens in poker that really elevates the excitement level. That's when somebody at the table says, I'm all in. He says, you know what? Christianity gets exciting when you're all in. That ought to be our mantra. Are you all in or are you just nibbling around? Are you willing to die? Easy for me to say. For your enemy, yeah, exactly. For me. <laughs> uh, Wednesday's lesson, I'll touch on some things. What actually precipitated the need for the Jerusalem Council? Was it not one group holding on to tradition and mistaking symbolism for reality? Amen. This whole Jerusalem Calvin thing has been very challenging to me. Yeah. Because when you looked at the two groups that came together, one group was for the, the Gentiles without traditions and all sort of stuff being part of the God's people. Another was, we are God's people and here's our... Yeah, we need to cut their foreskin off now. Well, no, but it, wasn't, it wasn't about circumcision. Yeah, circumcision was part of it. It was, it was about, a big part of it. it. It was about No, but it was about Scripture. Who had all the scripture? It was the guys with the circumcision. Yeah. Because they had, they had feast days and they had dietary rules and they had all the scripture that they were following. And here came a group of people who didn't have as much scripture and yet they had their walk with God. And to me that's challenging because I feel like I have grown up in a church that has had a lot of scripture. And it's challenging to me whenever someone says, I go to a Sunday church and they are true Christians. Yeah. That is challenging to me. Right. So back to holding on to tradition and mistaking symbolism for reality. Do Does not the contemporary church make the same mistakes? Well, list a few. What are a few of the same? What are some of the traditions that we hold on to that... Are that need to be let go of, or some of the symbolism that we that we, we mistake for reality. Come on, you guys know these. I've I've got five, I, and they could be 
a dozen more. Seven. Seven. Zero. Thank you. That was number three on my list. The Sabbath is an arbitrary test of obedience versus it's a perpetual rem- memorial of a God who values freedom of choice and will never use his power to, uh, to coerce decision-making. It keeps yeah. us separate. Maybe, you know, or maybe not the sanctuary? Yeah, that was top on my list. Sanctuary is a building in heaven versus uh, is something that's made up of living living beings. Method of baptism. Okay, yep, good. You got the method of baptism. Christ's blood erases deeds from record books versus erasing sin from infected humanity. The law. Yeah, yeah, the, the imposed versus uh, design law. God's fire is a fire of combustion versus a fire of love. God killed his own son to propitiate his wrath versus God gave his son to reveal his character and secure a healing remedy for terminal humanity. I'm sure you guys could list a dozen more, and and should. So eventually the council got to the, um, they, they, they distilled things down, and they decided to require the Gentiles, or to ask of the Gentiles, to avoid food that was offered to idols, to avoid fornication, to avoid eating animals that had been strangled, and to avoid consuming blood. Now, do these seem like, kind of arbitrary impositions or was there some design law revealed some design law implications from this uh, decision even today we don't seem to get it I mean the health the health issues and I should say the health doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist Church was the thing that impressed me the most I got onto that and, and I never became a vegetarian I went right to vegan and then I discovered about six months ago that my heart was in bad shape. Now, but I, have, I never learned from anybody that, you know, I was designed a certain way. I have, I, I, I have oil for my car. I don't pour wine in the crate case because it's not designed for that. Right. I mean, my people perish for lack of knowledge. We don't all have to be scientists, but we had to have mothers that realized how important, how terribly important it was to the health of her husband and her children and herself to learn the skills. And that was lost. It is lost. And the whole world is dying, especially this one, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and on. We're not designed to eat the food that is readily available because it's not food. Correct. How many of you have eaten food offered to idols? (laughs) Not yet. I have. I've traveled. I've traveled to Hindu Hindu lands. I've eaten food offered to their idols. It didn't. Eating that food did not change my opinion on whether that piece of rock or wood was going to bless me. I was. In fact, I knew it didn't. But the Gentiles still may have had some uh, some opinions that if they ate the food offered to idols that the that the idol was the one blessing the food okay so this this abstaining from eating food offered to idols was was in accordance with the law of worship if they believed that the food offered to the idol was extra blessed because that piece of rock sit there sit there and blessed it then that's that's impacting their view of god 
abstaining from fornication. Well, there, there are lots of design laws. The laws of health, there are laws of love, laws of worship, laws of giving, that ab- abstaining from uh, sexual immorality. So there's a design law implication there. Abstaining from eating animals that have been strangled. Good grief. What kind of a job is that? Yeah. What do you do? Oh, I choke my food. So that's that's a law of health thing. You can ima- you can imagine that a, an animal who's being slowly strangled to death is going to release all sorts of chemicals and all sorts of stress hormones that are going to become part of the meat that gets consumed, and then abstaining from blood. Ugh. Still done today. People eat rare steak where it looks like the thing would move if you put a fork in it. Again, design law, there's design law implications in this uh, decision that they reached. Uh, we've run out of time. Sorry. Uh, let's, let's close with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want your insights and we want to be better to listen, better at listening to your guidance, uh, especially uh, when it comes to conflict within, within our ranks, uh, whether it be on a personal level or a church level. Uh, we want to be guided by you uh, in order to hasten your coming. We want to better reflect your character. Help us uh, lead each of us to someone this week where we can share what uh, Christ has done for us. In your name, amen.